Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette, and today I'm chatting to Juno Dawson. She's a journalist and author who's recently released a novel called Wonderland. We've chatted to her before on the podcast about trans women and mental health in general. Today, we're catching up with her to see how she's doing in lockdown and also to chat about her recent work. Juno Dawson, welcome back to Mentally Yours. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me back. Last time, it, I know exactly when it was. It was two years ago because I was really late. There was like train hilarity and I've never been so stressed. And then not only was I late, but I went to the wrong tube stop as well. <laughs> I can't believe it's been two years though, but thanks mm. so much for coming back on. We were already actually chatting about this before we started recording, but how have you been getting on during lockdown generally? It's strange now because... I don't want to use the phrase new normal because I don't think it's normal, but it it just kind of comes and goes in waves, doesn't it? Of kind of how bothered you are by things. And and I think in a strange way, the fact that we've slightly relaxed some of the lockdown rules, it's almost harder in a way. Mm. Like when it was very strict rules, we all knew what we could and couldn't do, except for Dominic Cummings, who did not <laughs> do what we were allowed to do. And we all we all just stayed home and we isolated with the people that we lived with. Whereas now there's all these thousands of perplexing rules about you can go to the zoo, but you can't see your grandma. You're you're allowed to go for a barbecue at your friends but you can or can't use the toilet. So it's all, it's all very strange. I don't really know what's supposed to be happening. 
Well, it's super strange if you're if you're single like me because a friend tweeted earlier basically you, you know you can go to the zoo but you still you can't have sex. So like if you're single, technically, like there has been no announcement about anything like that. So that's it's just such a weird state of events, isn't it? But anyway, can you have you sex at the zoo? Are you allowed <laughs> to do that? God, what a question. <laughs> so to get back to the more serious stuff, have you found anything particularly challenge, challenging in, sort of during the pandemic? Um, yeah, I think initially, so again, we've been, I mean, we've been inside for months now, haven't we? So, so going sort of chronologically at the beginning of lockdown, what I found really difficult was pretending that everything was normal. And I think particularly as a writer, people looked at my life as one which could very much carry on as normal. Like, you know, what are you worried about? You can just keep on writing. Like, this will be great. You can just get the next novel done. And so I made a little office space in my living room and sort of tried to, you know, was really, really pushing myself to work like from nine to five. And and then at the same time, I was like project managing my partner as well, because he had been furloughed and was like, right, well, this is a list of jobs that need doing around the house. And about maybe three weeks in, I just had a complete breakdown and it manifested with me attacking a Venetian blind that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't behaving in the way I wanted it to but that's that's what it was and I remember that night I just went to bed and just cried and cried and cried and Max I think wasn't really sure what was going on mm-hmm. but I think I just needed to let it out because I'd been sort of clinging on and and you know it wasn't normal and it isn't normal this this isn't like anything that anyone who is alive now has experienced. I mean, potentially, if you are old enough to remember World War II, then I guess you, you've lived through this sort of situation before. But, you know, everybody born post-1950 isn't going to remember any sort of situation like this. And I think the, there was almost, I had to go through a process of just accepting that nothing was the same. And it Mm. did, and I've seen other people sort of refer to it as um, a lot of the same emotions as bereavement, like that sort of letting go process of like, you're not going to be seeing your friends. You're not going to be seeing your family. You're not going to be doing exactly what you want to do. Doubled up with public health fears, so like, are we going to get sick? Are we going to die? And having, I was very lucky in that nobody who I personally know has um, died of COVID, but my dad did get very sick from something else. So we were trying to deal with, you know, my dad being in hospital and, oh my God, he's in hospital with his diabetes, but is he going to get coronavirus? So mm. it was, it was a lot but then that feels like years ago now because that was like right at the beginning of lockdown. So that really does feel like a different life. Mm, it sounds really tough. Mm. Um, could we talk a bit about um, how you think trans people in particular have been affected by the pandemic, if you think there are sort of particular ways? Because I was wondering if maybe there were particular challenges like um, accessing meds. I mean, I know I've had challenges sort of around mm. that sort of thing. Um, yeah, um, I think as well, it's, I think it would be irresponsible not to mention that the world is literally on fire. And, you know, a lot of trans people are also black people. And obviously we're, we're at a turning point in society where, you know, this, this feels like from within this incredibly difficult and challenging point in history that possibly there is a revolution happening as well. And so, 
you know, for, for some trans people that have been much bigger things to think about than medication, but on a practical level, yeah, it was, although I, I will say this, actually the NHS has adapted phenomenally well. And so basically a lot of those things which you kind of held to be solid truths, like I have to visit a nurse to get my hormones, very quickly she was like, right, I'm going to talk you through it over Zoom. And so I just, I, I injected myself. So, and so actually that, that hasn't really been that I I did panic. And I think it's funny. I, I wasn't particularly prone to panic buying, but I did make sure before lockdown that I had a huge stockpile of hormones basically to get me through however long. And I, I also started half dosing as well. So my normal supply will last twice as long. Mm. which isn't ideal. It's not ideal that I'm half dosing, but it was more important to keep my levels steady as Mm. it were. Um, so yeah. And then, then of course, nonsense with one of the most powerful women in the world using her platform to cast doubt on the authenticity of trans lives, which is horrible. Oh yeah. You know, there, there isn't, a trans person in the world who has that kind of platform. So it's, it's deeply worrying. Yes. I was coming on to that. Um, so JK Rowling, um, she tweeted again, lots of, lots of stuff about trans women in particular. Um, she seems to be very angry. One of my sort of friends commented about that, which I think is odd in itself. Um, so she was tweeting a lot of angst, well, it seemed to me quite angry stuff about trans women. Um, and then Daniel Radcliffe responded by saying simply that trans women are women. And he wrote quite a lot about that as well. Mm. Um, how did you feel about that whole exchange? I mean, do you feel like people have actually moved on a bit? I mean, the fact that Harry Potter himself came out and, you know, said something this time. And Eddie Redmayne today as well. So that's Newt Scaramander and Harry Potter and Hermione. Mm. Um Oh, I just, I feel at at this point, you know, I would much rather talk about me and my books than her and her books. But at the same time, it's just sad. And I know a lot of my readers were also her readers. And I think they feel a bit betrayed because certainly I took from the Harry Potter franchise that you should always speak up for the underdog. And there there are a few minority groups in the UK who are much more maligned than trans people at the moment. And so it just feels like the most astonishing punching down I think I've ever seen from a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what sort of to say to that because it's just just from a, you know, just from a straight person. I mean, I, I just don't understand why she's so angry genuinely. But but anyway, um, let's move on. Let's talk about your book, as you mentioned. So you've, got, <laughs> you've got a new book. Um, it's coming out. Um, sorry, is it coming out soon or is it out at the moment? I'm not it is sure. out now. It came out last week. Okay, brilliant. So it's out at the moment and it's called Wonderland. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of roughly based around Alice in Wonderland. Why did you pick that um, as, as something to sort of as a starting off point? A book, all of my books really start from a little writing exercise where I sort of dip my toe and try to work out if it's going to be an idea that I'm going to want to spend two or three years talking about, basically. And I was in Melbourne and there was the most beautiful exhibit on at ACCA, which is the Australian Centre for Cultural Arts. And it was all about visual representations of Alice. 
from like the original pictures of Alice Liddell through to the illustrations in the book, through to the Disney film and the Matrix and Gwen Stefani pop videos. And I started to think about, right, we all have this culturally agreed idea of who Alice is. What can I bring to the party? It's a lot like when you get different DJs to remix a single. What would the Juno Dawson remix of Alice in Wonderland be like? And so, of course, we've got a transgender Alice. We've got lots of really messed up kids who are dealing with wealth and privilege and loss, drink, drugs, mental health problems. And that that's kind of, that's very much my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's been described as a kind of a, a kind of gossip girl. Do you take that as a compliment or um, would you sort of compare it to something something else? Well, comparisons to Gossip Girl. Mm. Oh, I love Gossip Girl. <laughs> um, it's it's funny. I, I think um, Gossip Girl is, you know, it's one of those sort of iconic shows. I think particularly the first couple of seasons were amazing. Um, what I find, because so I grew up on, because I'm way older than Gossip Girl people, but I grew up on like Beverly Hills 90210 and Saved mm. by the Bell, Heathers, Clueless. And so for me, looking at the lifestyles of the rich and famous, it feels like a fantasy world. So, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to write like a Game of Thrones book with like dragons and witches, but um, I do, I am obsessed with, you know, billionaires and millionaires and, and all that sort of stuff. It's my fave. And so those are the kind of worlds that I like to build. So this is actually the third part of, we're calling it the London trilogy. So we, we had Clean, which is about, um, a hotel heiress getting into trouble with drugs. And then we had Meat Market, which is about a working class girl who becomes a supermodel and all the trappings of wealth and fame. And now we've got the third part, which is dealing with, well, we're going back to the beginning, back to the school where the characters all came from. So like J.K. Rowling's books, a lot of your work is primarily written for young people. You've also written um, for adults as well. You've done um, sort of autobiographical books as well but um do you hope that people can see the world differently or young people might be able to see the world differently from reading your books I hope so I hope I make them feel seen um you know I I think I'm I'm not the only person doing this and I think there's sort of you, you can broadly as an author you can do things as you want them to be or you can do things as they are and I like to think I do a little bit of both you know I've been told and accused of writing sort of unrealistic books. Like why are my characters also damaged? And I'm kind of like, well, have you spent any time with teenagers? Because maybe the difference now is that, you know, you know, I was riddled with mental health problems when I was at school, but we didn't really have a vocabulary around it. Now, 16, 17, 18 year olds are more than capable of talking about anxiety and depression and bipolar and their meds and OCD, you know, in a way that we just weren't able to. And that's because they've found and accessed help and support online, or they have found other people who might be going through similar things to them. Um, I think one of the best compliments that you could get is um, my friend is a mental health nurse and he works in an adolescent mental health unit. And one of his um, patients was reading Wonderland and um, they're a young trans person and they also have bipolar, which, which Alice has as well. And, and that really touched me that the novel had found the person it needed to speak to the most. 
So this is your third book in the trilogy, as I mentioned. Um, what yeah. are your plans for what sort of your plans and hopes for the future in terms of um, your next work? Really, I'm, I suppose I'm just asking. Really, what's what's next? So at the moment, most of my work is in TV. I'm so, I've sort of like parlayed what I've been doing in novel land and taking it into teleworld, um, which it's fast, it's competitive, it's much better paid. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, there will be potentially spending some time in America um, on the horizon if we're ever allowed to fly again. Um, Brilliant. And yeah, certainly. So we've just, we announced last week that we've also sold the TV rights to the London trilogy as well. So I'm going to be collaborating with a production company on the London trilogy to tell the story in a way that might surprise people, I think. And yeah, just watch this space because a lot of the TV stuff that I've been working on, I'm not really allowed to talk about. So I should, oh, <laughs> I should, I should probably just be quiet, really. <laughs> it's so exciting though. I mean, I'm really thrilled for you. Congratulations. Um, are you allowed to say, you know, which, are we talking Netflix or a channel or are you not really allowed to sort of go into much detail at the moment? Um, I wouldn't like to say usually the sure. broadcaster is the last thing that gets sorted, but I'm working oh, right. on some scripts and I'm working on some development and it's all, it's really exciting. So few TV shows get made that the actual name of the game is just to kind of keep your plates spinning for as long as possible. I'm just mm. really, 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 really hope that very soon some of them start to get greenlit because that would obviously that's the next you know trying to visualize where I see the next step in my career you know I do see myself being on set in a world that I've created and that's not to say that I'm turning my back on novels because that's always going to be my first love but um I'm, I, I can't wait for the day when I'm physically in a fantasy world that I've created for tv or film I can't wait well, neither can I, because this sounds incredible. I can't wait to actually see it, you know, whether it's the small screen or the big screen. I think it's, you know, amazing. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, can we go back um, just for a moment, before, just before we finish up, and it's sort of going back to the most serious thing, because as you mentioned sort of earlier on um, about the fact that, you know, all across the world people are protesting um, about mm. the tragic death of of George Floyd. And also you brought in there the, the fact that, um, you know, a lot of trans, well, obviously sort of some trans people are black. Um, have, how have sort of, have any friends of yours sort of been protesting at the moment? Um, I mean, I wouldn't want you to sort of, you know, get anyone in it or anything, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. um, I think what I'm asking really is how have people been affected specifically and you know like what what do they really feel needs to change because obviously you know we're, we're all sort of thinking at the moment you know things need mm. to change but what what does need to change this is a moment in history now where by finally it feels like racism has been handed back to the racists it's been given back to white people to dismantle the systems that we've put in place that have oppressed black people and other people of color and i think previously in the past um racism was left to black people like this is your problem you have to deal with it like you need to teach your children's strategies for dealing with racism in a racist world rather than actually saying hang on a minute what if the world wasn't racist? And so I think now it's come back to us on an individual level and also on a societal and systematic level to work out where 
the racism has been embedded and how we can do it. And if that starts with these very kind of like high profile toppling of racist statues, great. Cause I think that's really, really symbolic. Um, I don't live in London anymore, so I've not been able to get to the riots. Um, I think there will be some in Brighton, I'm told. So I'll, I'll be going down and making my voice heard because, you know, on a personal level, I can't remember the last time I said or did something racist, but as a white person, I have every single day of my life benefited from the racism that's been embedded into the system. So I've got to acknowledge that and try and identify where it is I've benefited and how so that we can make things better in the future. I mean, you, no one can see me because I'm, this is a podcast, but I was just nodding my head constantly through that because I think every word of that is, you know, Absolutely true. And it's especially what you said about, you know, it's up to it's up to us now to to deal with racism, not the other way around. I mean, um, I mean, if, if you are if you're a white person listening to this and you are thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, I'm broadly happy with the way things are. <laughs> ask why you know why is it why mm. why is it that you are content for black people and people of color to be held back and not to be able to achieve as much as white people because I'm just that doesn't sit right with me. Mm. I do have one final question, although it might be a bit too large of a question, but we'll, I'll ask it anyway, see what you think. So um, when I was thinking about sort of chatting to you, sort of when I was getting my questions ready and whatnot, basically I might be imagining it, but it seems to me that certain politicians have kind of almost used lockdown and the pandemic to sort of start sneaking through anti-LGBTQ policies. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, am I imagining it or is there something... No, my God, politicians have always tried to bury bad news. And, you know, the scariest one, and I think there was a real ripple. And this this was, I felt very, very powerless because obviously, although actually things have changed now, because at that point, it felt like they were doing things during lockdown because we couldn't protest. But we've actually seen that, you know, we we can and will protest during lockdown. Um, some things are more important than staying home. And um a drip to a castle in Durham is not one of them. But, um, yeah, it was when, when it looked like Liz Truss, who is the women and equalities minister was starting to creep through legislation around the gender recognition act. Yeah. Now, now, obviously there was a public consultation on the gender recognition act in 2017. And we've been waiting on the results of this for an incredibly long time. Um, why we don't know. They've never revealed the results of the consultation. I mean, I suspect I can tell you what's in it. There was probably a very dichotic mix of people who were supportive of trans rights and understand that. So basically the Gender Recognition Act was, it's just the system by which you apply for a new birth certificate. It doesn't do anything else. Um, And the argument was trans people by and large don't use that system. It's complicated. It's really expensive. I went through it last year. It cost me about 500 pounds in the end um, Mm. because you've got to go to a notary public and get things signed off by solicitors. Um, You have to go before a panel. Well, actually you don't. A panel of people who have never met you and never will meet you decide whether or not you're rewarded a new birth certificate. And so trans people have always looked at this system and just thought, well, this is bizarre. You know, they don't even look at you. They don't even look at pictures. I mean, what what's happening kind of? Um, and so the reform of the GRA was to basically make it more like applying for a passport because spoiler alert, trans people all have passports because 
you can do that. So what, right at the start of my transition, obviously I needed to travel for work. So my doctor signed it off. Um, my, I, you apply to the passport office, you send them your old passport. They send you a new passport with your new gender. Brilliant. It took about four weeks and cost what, 70 quid. And so really the government had to address why it is that trans people don't bother with the Gender Recognition Act because they don't use it. Like 10% of trans people use it. So it does, it needs to be easier. It needs to be more streamlined. And importantly, it must be made cheaper because a lot of trans people are not going to be able to afford three, four, five hundred pounds to basically apply for a piece of paper. So there will have been people who supported that, but of course that consultation will have absolutely been hijacked by that very vocal group of people who really, really think that trans people, particularly trans women, are scary people who are perverts and are trying to get into changing rooms for nefarious reasons. And if that's what you think about trans women and you're not going to interrogate that prejudice, again, I can't help you with that. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't have to explain why trans people are not rapists. I don't think that's my responsibility. And so I suspect that's why they've sat on the results for so long. But what was scary is there are some very powerful, very transphobic people in the House of Lords and in the House of Commons. And it felt like Liz Truss was very much listening to what they had to say on the topic. And it looked like she might try to rush through some sort of reform during lockdown, which was, of course, terrifying. But as of yet... They still haven't revealed the results of the consultation and nor have they said how they're going to reform it. But this has been dragging on for so long and it's such a shame because actually, and you know, I'm not a big supporter of Theresa May, but actually she was really kind of on board and she was really keen to get it done. And I had a meeting with Penny Mordaunt. Penny Mordaunt was very keen to get it done as well. But but then of course there was an election and everything kind of went to shit. (laughs) Thank you so much for sort of explaining all that, because I mean, that I only sort of caught a small portion of that. I think, the, you know, seeing Liz Truss was, I kind of got the impression Liz Truss was up to something. Um, but I think yeah. you, you might well be right. I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, if, if, I mean, there is, there is a way here that slightly everybody could win with this, which is if they made it much, much easier and much, much cheaper for trans people to register their gender. Hmm sorted because mm. i mean don't get me wrong it's, it's a bit sinister isn't it? because it's all a bit like oh trans people should carry id cards or should mm. maybe wear some sort of a flag or something to to sort of like mark them out as trans but if there was a way for trans and non-binary people to register themselves efficiently and legally in a cheap and affordable way then actually that would shut up a lot of these critics who say oh no but scary men might try to pass themselves off as trans because no they won't because as if they're going to go through the paperwork so if they make it easier for trans and non-binary people to live our lives then actually that might actually make a lot of the problem just go away Mm. yeah absolutely i'm glad you raised sort of those points as well about people getting hysterical about oh bathrooms and you know oh, somebody might come and rape me or something I mean it's some of the arguments that people come out with it, are just ludicrous and it's I find them hard to even reply to because you sort of as you sort of said well if you have that kind of prejudice that kind of fear I mean what are you supposed to say to that I mean either, either you think that somebody is 
flat out going to be a rapist or not. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's, well, anyway, yeah. Do you know you what I think? I think of that, it's, it's human nature. Preju- I mean, we've got, because I think this is part of the conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But mm. I think part of the, one of the conversations we have to have is we are all at times in our life susceptible to prejudice and bigotry because we're human. It's part of being human. But I think what it's your personal individual responsibility to do is if those thoughts enter your head, you've got to stop them and interrogate them and say, oh my gosh, I'm making assumptions. I'm casting aspersions. I'm being lied to by newspapers or by social media, you know, that, that responsibility does come down to the individual for you to say, right, what are my beliefs? What am I basing them on? And are they fair? You know, and, and if you're, if you are again, listening to this and if you're making assumptions about whole minority groups, about black women, about Asian men, about gay men, about gay women, about trans people, that's prejudice. You can't apply sweeping generalizations to a minority group. That is the very definition of what prejudice is. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.